What is up, People First Leaders? My name is Chris Lin, and I am your advocate and host for the Leading People First podcast, where we are set to transform the workplace. I'm happy you're tuning in and joining me on this journey as we talk about leadership and its effect on the employee experience. There are so many self-assessments out in the world right now, and it's so easy to get overwhelmed by them. While today's guest was frustrated by the sheer amount of assessments, the different things that they told people, and then left people to their own devices. Kristen Sherry is a best-selling and award-winning author, globally recognized career expert, and creator of the UMAP Profile, which won a 2020 Career Innovator Award from Career Directors International. The UMAP Profile really takes some of these assessments and hones in on the individual's strengths and abilities and their values to be able to give them direction into what their next move for their career or growth should be. Kristen is a speaker, trainer, and author of the international bestseller UMAP and a 2020 Pencraft Award winner in business books for her latest book, Your Team Loves Mondays, right? Speaking of the book, Your Team Loves Mondays, if you want a chance to win a copy of this book, this is your last chance to leave us a review and make sure you tag us on LinkedIn or Instagram by November 1st, 2020. Now let's dive right into this episode and hear more from Kristen. Hi, Kristen. Thank you for coming on the Leading People First podcast. Thanks, Chris. I love your podcast. I love the work you're doing, and I'm really, really excited to be here talking with you today. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on because you have done some amazing work, um, and you've really just, in your career, you've gone... you've had such a journey in your career and to see where you are today, helping people, helping others find their values and their purpose in life and helping them make those next steps is something amazing that you you've done. Thank you. It's, it's, I don't know, about five years ago, I got a real passion for being more intentional on, on helping people in the ways that I've been doing. And it's been the most rewarding work I've ever done. Yeah, I think your work and your experience is a testament to just how much someone can accomplish if they really go after their passion and their values. Yeah, and you have to have focus and learn to say no and (laughs) other things (laughs) along the way. But yes, I mean, knowing that, having that vision, knowing what your values are and knowing what you care most about is so important. And then if you're able to to really stay focused on that, you can get a lot more done than you think. It's just that the distractions and lack of focus and inability to say no, a lot of those things can can derail us. Yeah, absolutely. So as we get started, I would love to just hear from you. What does it mean to you to lead people first? So there are three ways that you can look at your relationship with your team. You can look at it positionally, I'm your boss. You can look at it functionally. Here's what I do. Here's what you do. Or you can look at it personally. I'm really interested in seeing you succeed. And here are some things that I need from you as well that will help our team. And when you have positional uh, relationships, I think that's where you get a lot of the toxic workplace cultures. I'm the boss. I pay you to do, not to think (laughs) sort of attitude. When you have functional mindsets, here's what I do. Here's what what you do, I think you really miss out on the personal relationship. And that personal perspective doesn't mean that you're going out for drinks every weekend 
or inviting them to your cabin in the mountains. It just <laughs> means I'm interested in knowing you as a person, what's important to you. I'm interested in helping you succeed through development and support. And for me, that's what that means is shifting from a positional or a functional attitude to more of a personal relationship. I love that. And I think that that's something that, you know, we all should strive for. That's what leaders really should strive for. However, I, you know, first thing that popped in my head is, you know, I'm sure you've encountered or met or even worked with individual managers who have said, no, like this is work. I don't want to either get to know them or they should not get to know me or my team should not get to know me. I mean, what response do you have for those individuals? I would say that you're really going to minimize your effectiveness as a leader of those people. If you don't know who they are, you don't know what motivates them. You don't know what their needs and preferences are. You don't know how to really get the best out of those people. And that impacts your own success. So do you want to be effective or do you want to be isolated in your ivory tower? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to take from that. And especially when we look from an employee engagement standpoint, uh, managers who are in that positional or functional standpoint or mindset, they, uh, I'm sure we would find that there is a much lower engagement level within their teams than, than not. Absolutely. Because here's what I do. Here's what you do creates this silo effect where everyone just sitting at their computers with their heads down doing what what they think they need to be doing and <laughs> when you function like that look everyone says keep your personal life at home and work at work but no one does that no even if we say that no one does that you're bringing that divorce to work you're bringing that sick child to work people cannot separate themselves so incisively like that and if you just choose to ignore those elements of human beings it's going to cause problems yeah absolutely and i think that the future of work especially in leadership is really going to be focused on having leaders have a holistic view of their employees absolutely the future of work is becoming flat that old hierarchical way of of doing things is really the days gone by and i think organizations that continue to have a hierarchical mindset. That doesn't mean you don't have a hierarchy on paper where these are the roles people have, but thinking and behaving and treating people in terms of that hierarchy, it, there's just going to be too much of a competition for talent for more flattened organizations where you hire people who are experts in their work and they're able to manage their own work and make decisions about their work. Those are the types of organizations people are going to want to join. Yeah, absolutely. The The importance of having those mindsets to create an employee experience that's so powerful that people want to join it. I mean, that just creates such an amazing employee value proposition for the organization. Yeah, I read a statistic about millennials that values are more important than ever to millennials. And a lot of people value things like autonomy mm -hmm. and being able to make their own decisions around what affects them in their work. And so the more you have older generations leaving the workforce, and you're going to have at one point by, I think I read 2027, millennials are going to be 75% of the workforce because the Gen Xers is such a small group. Yeah. So if you are not 
a values-driven organization and not just having the plaque on the wall, but actually living out those values and leaders in the organization are demonstrating that, demonstrating those values, reinforcing those values, communicating what are the behaviors that we reward in this organization and what are the, the behaviors that we deter. Yeah, having that differentiator really, really can make or break not just an organization, but really help define you as an organization and really attract the talent that you want. So I'm curious, um, you know, before I go too far into the values piece, something that I would love to hear uh, you share more about is the difference between an organization's values and their purpose. Mm -hmm. So the values are who we are inside and those things really do impact your customers but the messaging is really who, who are we as a group? How do we define ourselves? And that's something that creates this sense of community and we all identify with those values. Where I think the purpose, even though employees or associates need to understand their own purpose and how that connects to the organization's purpose, I think the purpose really needs to speak to the people that you're helping, to your customers. Yeah, absolutely. That purpose really kind of drives the organization forward. And those values are what, you know, what shape, like you said, it's what shapes the behaviors within the organization. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious then from, from a values perspective and your work with UMAP and strengths finders and the different assessments that you help individuals to be successful I mean, how do we shift the manager mindset to accept others' strengths and values? And then especially when it comes to diversity and inclusion, because, you know, we managers will have their own values and strengths and they might value, you know, a certain type of strength within others. So why is it important to have a diversity of strengths and values within an organization or team? Well, I think diversity is so important, but you have to extend it, of course, to inclusiveness, because if you hire the wrong people for a role, first of all, well, let me take a step back. It all starts with your hiring. So people will not be able to exercise their strengths and their values freely if you don't know what you're looking for in that role. And then you don't ensure that you get the right person into that role. And then once they're there, you have to really pay attention to what the gifting is of that person. And they might not even know what that is. So this involves having conversations one-on-one. -on -one. And maybe you give an exercise to your employee where they do a reflected best self-exercise, where they tell stories of times that they did things that made an impact and they ask other people that they've worked with or friends or people who know them. And now you have a discussion with your employee around these stories of how you've made an impact using your talents. And now when you're doing planning for the next year, like stretch projects or special projects. So when you know your values and you align your actions with them, it gives you this tremendous personal power um, in how you show up at work. So you have to know your own, but you also have to know your employees as well so that everybody feels that those needs are met. Cause you know, we, we break on our values being violated. Yeah. That's um, having values violations. You've shared this before, but I'll, I'll just reiterate it here really just can shake us to our core. I mean, I've seen it 
personally right now with a number of close uh, friends and colleagues where, you know, a manager or a team just might act in a way that is completely contradictory to how they value individuals or how they, you know, look on life and the stress that is put on them is just immense. I've seen people break down recently where they're just like, I can't take it anymore. Right. And, and they just feel drained at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And to your question about diversity and inclusion, I think there's a tendency to assume everyone values what you value. We don't realize the differences there. And so you treat people with this cookie cutter approach, which you, you may please 25% of the people, but it's likely that the majority of the people are not going to feel um, valued. Yeah. So you, you briefly mentioned about, uh, talked about self-awareness. And I know that self-awareness you've shared in the past is a number one indicator for success. Mm-hmm. So I would love to hear more about that and its role in someone's career. So as an individual, I'll talk both as an individual and as a manager. As an individual, if you don't have self-awareness, other people are going to direct your career. So I did a lot of research when when I wrote my book for managers and found that about two-thirds of people were just sort of promoted into their (laughs) next role Mm -hmm. without really their input. And they just accepted the role because they felt it was the logical next step in their career. So if you don't have self-awareness, you can't be the architect of your own career because other people are going to make decisions for you. And I love the Jim Rohn quote that said, if you don't design your own life plan, chances are you'll fall into someone else's plan. And guess what they have planned for you? Not much. Yeah. So really, they're going to just plug you in where there's a need. It's not really thinking about what do I do best and what does the organization need most and where can we find that intersection? And that's where the magic happens. So you're always going to be plugged in where there's the need and not necessarily looking at your talent, your values, the skills you enjoy doing. So you might be doing skills that burn you out, but you're really good at it. So your leader gives you more of it. And then all of a sudden this top performer just one day ups and quits and everyone's scratching their head because the person has just completely fizzled out and they can't Mm -hmm. take it anymore. So from an individual perspective, self-awareness is so important there. From a leader perspective, oh my goodness, if you don't have self-awareness, you have no idea what your blind spots are. You have no idea how people are impacted by your leadership. And so you end up unwittingly demotivating motivated people. So people come to the table motivated and then all of a sudden, your lack of flexibility uh, is, is making them get demotivated or you not helping them have a career vision and only for focusing on the short-term objectives of their roles. Or you, you are someone who doesn't need a lot of external validation. So you don't recognize that other people need to feel valued and celebrated. So maybe you're demotivating people that way or you're not creating development opportunities, or maybe you just ignore conflict because conflict makes you uncomfortable. Or you think, you know what, this isn't a playground. You need to just suck it up and 
and, and just ignore what people are doing or saying, you might have a perspective where other people don't feel that you're addressing the conflict on the team. Or you might be a real super achiever that can do more work than other people can and put these unrealistic workloads on your team. There are so many ways that not being self-aware can impact your team. And the more you know, you know what maybe the shadow side tendencies of your strengths are. Yep. And that helps you make sure that you're operating into the shiny side of your strengths <laughs> instead of the shadow sides. Yeah, being very self-aware as a leader has uh, an enormous benefit to the teams and not having that self-awareness has clearly a negative side to it as well. So, you know, how does someone become more self-aware? Well, it's tough, but you have to ask for feedback. <laughs> no, you know, learning to take feedback is one of the best investments and realize, you know what, it's not, per it's not personal a lot of times when people give you feedback. It's not that they hate you as a person, but, you know, this is something that you could be doing better. So I think that you need to be open to constructive feedback. And a good friend of mine, Lila Smith, said that what she has done to get good at, at accepting feedback is just use this mental Sharpie marker. So if somebody says something that's maybe you're perceiving as hurtful or insensitive, just what are the actionable things? And just kind of circle those and Sharpie out the rest. What are mm -hmm. the actual things that, that you're hearing? And what do you need to start doing and stop doing and continue doing? And I think that if you are open to feedback, people will respect you more. I mean, when you're defensive, when people give you, I, uh, let me tell you a story. <laughs> I, I had a leader one time who had a 360 evaluation from the team, from all of us. And the instructions were given to not approach the team about the feedback, that if you wanted clarification on the feedback, if you weren't sure what people meant, there was a facilitator that would do that on your behalf to get clarification. But this leader set up a meeting and brought all of us in, into a room and proceeded to go through line by line all of the critical feedback that had been given and explained to us why we were mistaken. Mm -hmm. Now, do you think all of us left the room going, wow, I'm glad that that was sorted and <laughs> I can clearly see why I was wrong. So thanks for taking the time to help me understand <laughs> <laughs> my misperceptions. Of course not. Not only do we still believe those things to be true, now we think this person <laughs> can't take feedback and is defensive and so has a character flaw as well. So my mother always gave me this great advice and she would say, when someone gives you feedback, your first tendency, of course, is to go into this preservation mode. But the reality is that's someone's perspective. That's their perception. So what do you want to do about that? Yeah. And so that's what you have to ask yourself is turn into, instead of going inward to feel offended, say, what do I want to do about this? It puts you in a forward thinking, action oriented perspective. This is my team's perspective. What do I want to do about this? So that's the first thing you have to do is if, <laughs> if you don't ask, you can read all the self-development books in the world, but if you don't ask your team how, what's going well, when I, and you can ask one-on-one -on -one if you want, what's going well from the perspective of me managing <laughs> this relationship as your leader? What am I doing well? 
What could I be doing differently, better, or more of? What are some of the barriers that you think are preventing my improvements in this area? If you don't surface the barriers, think they might say, well, one thing you could do more of is spend, spend more time one-on-one -on -one with me. And some of the barriers are, well, you have too much on your plate, so I don't see how that's, gonna, that's ever going to change, right? Yeah. So those barriers. What's one thing that I could change to be a better leader for you? And how can I support you better? If you ask simple questions like that, you will get so much valuable information on how to prioritize because what's the one thing I need to change creates automatic prioritization for you. Yeah, again, asking those questions and allowing that self-reflection and being able to take that, uh, you know, take that feedback is so important and will benefit not just yourself, but your team. And I think that that's something that you do very well is that you not only see people for, uh, see yourself in that way, but you also help others see uh, them who they are for who they are. And I wanted to share some feedback. This is something that I started doing recently is reaching out to my guests network and get some feedback on my Oh list. my goodness. So uh, <laughs> I wanted to, and I wanted to share something that someone wrote uh, that uh, very much embodies the self-awareness and, and recognizing people for who they are. So there is something that happens when we clearly see the whole of who we are and our uniqueness. It's both exciting and freeing at the same time. It unlocks us to walk out who we were created to be with confidence and unapologetically. I am grateful that Kristen boldly walked out her gifting so that the world and me are empowered to walk ours. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and again, I did not make any of this up. This is all people that you know. So, you know, I think that this shows how you, again, the importance of leadership, being self-aware, seeing others for who they are, and that em empowering those individuals and those around you can make this huge impact, uh, not just on yourself as a leader, but and not even just your team directly, but the impact it has on other people from who your team impacts. It's this huge ripple effect that leaders can have, and it can either be positive or it can be negative. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, what is the impact that you're looking to leave on this world? Everything I do is about maximizing people to live out their potential. So that, that feedback, whoever gave you that feedback, I love that feedback is very valuable to me. We tend to value feedback that aligns with our values. So <laughs> um, that feedback is particularly meaningful because that is my whole purpose in life. Everything I do is aligned to helping people move out of the shadows of who other people expect them to be and move into the light of who they're created to be. Just really maximizing that, that potential. Yeah. A lot of times people will say to me, oh my goodness, how have you accomplished this, that, or the other? I, I am not a superhuman person. I have plenty of flaws. I, I, I can barely adult with the homeschooling. Stuff <laughs> when I, ha I mean, I, my daughter would fail second grade if it wasn't for my husband, because he's so much more organized than I am. So I have plenty of flaws that could trip me up in my career. But I move into my zone of genius. 
the things that I really do best, where I know I'm going to have the greatest impact. I've taken the time to learn what those things are. I get support. I delegate. I bring other people around me to support me where I have weaknesses. And I really spend my time focusing on where I'm going to shine and make the greatest impact. And that has been honestly the single secret to my success is bringing people around me who can support me by doing things they love to do and do best. I don't just delegate things I don't want to do or I can't do to just anyone. I take time to look at the people around me and where are, where are your, what is your gifting so that everybody's happy and everybody is productive and shining. That's really my purpose is to really help people never uh, wonder what they should be doing or what they could be doing or what they'd be best at doing, but have clarity around that and the confidence to pursue it. Yeah. That confidence can make a big difference for your team. I mean, they can do a lot if they know that they have the support of their leader. And the question that I have for you then from that, from there is how do managers then balance juggling their team's individual strengths and productivity? You know, if you, if you hire right, that, that is not really a problem because the productivity increases. Gallup has done a lot of research around people who align their talent to their work and use their strengths every day. And people are up to six times more engaged in their work, which means 600% more engaged, mm-hmm. defined by at least four and a half hours of the workday goes by without really noticing because the time just flies because you're having fun. So when you hire the right people for the right role, those people are going to just succeed and be productive. The productivity goes up, the quality of the work goes up. But to your point, we do have situations where the wrong person was hired and the manager ends up tailoring the role to fit the person and it's not what the organization needs. And then other people on the team become resentful because how come that person doesn't have to do these things and I do? And so you can get into trouble as a manager trying to individualize a role too much and the rest of the team becomes resentful. So it's so important to get that hiring right. If a person isn't productive and isn't succeeding, it's always the manager's fault. And, you know, managers sort of recoil when I say that, but you either haven't designed, put thought into that job description correctly of the actual needs. What are the needs of of this role now and potentially in the future? What does a high performer look like in this role? What are the deliverables of this role? What are the challenges the person are going to face in this role? Mm -hmm. And then really constructing that interview to make sure that you are getting the best candidate for that role. You're providing the adequate training and onboarding support. You're developing that person and not rescuing them, but really providing the support. The employee needs to own their career, but you need to provide the support and the organization needs to provide the resources and tools. And then if that person is still not succeeding because something broke down somewhere, having those courageous conversations to say, we've tried A, B, and C, and this isn't working out. We need to either find another role for you in the organization, or I'm going to support you to find a role somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. That's again, that support and that 
courage that you mentioned is something that's very difficult. We don't, you know, no one likes having uncomfortable conversations, especially when it comes to potentially letting someone go. Mm-hmm. It's really, I mean, it's tough. I, there's no way around it. But if you can show that you are keeping them in mind, you're compassionate about the situation, and you understand that, again, they have their own needs that need to be taken care of, you know, primarily money, right, to live. Yeah. I mean, then you, it just makes the experience so much better. You, you can show that individual and the team themselves that you have, you see them as human beings, not just as a cog in the, in the machine. Yeah. And ultimately, if you hire the right people and onboard them well and train them effectively and develop them to their potential, you're going to find yourself in those termination situations a lot less. But I interviewed a woman named Brenda LaRose for my management book, and she has 35 years of experience placing candidates with executive in executive level positions and she told me that she's she's known leaders who offboard associates very well and their approach is you know what this isn't a great fit how can we help how can we help you find another position and that person ends up leaving the organization thinking that that manager had good intent where they were concerned and even though they were fired that person still admires and respects the person who fired them. And I read research that associates who get constructive feedback as well as positive feedback from their manager actually respect managers more who are willing to give them constructive feedback than managers who only praise. Yeah. Having actionable feedback is makes a world of difference. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten feedback and I've literally asked like, okay, well, what does that mean? Or, you know, what, you know, like, so what do I do next? Like, what am I supposed to do with that? And being told, um, like, that's just what it is. And it's like, okay, well, how am I supposed to change it or improve or grow, you know, as an individual? Um, and, you know, while we're talking about being a manager, I know that you, you've been a manager in the past and you've also shared before that you do not like necessarily managing, but I would love to hear about your experience as a manager. You developed training, you know, you did this in an LMD role. So talk to me about that. How, how was that experience for you? So, so I, yeah, you're right. I don't like being a manager. I love leading people. I don't like supervisory roles where the expectation is set for me to just do performance reviews and monitor attendance and Mm -hmm. follow up with why are you late? And (laughs) (laughs) those are not the kinds of of things that I liked. And once I made that shift, everything changed. The way I led team meetings changed. The way I gave people insight into how our organization worked and how decisions would affect them, and opened up the platform for them to share with one another learnings from the previous week, and created this learning mindset, and was willing to humble myself to say, you know what, I have no idea about that, but I'm going to find out, and I'm going to get back to you, and I did, and I think there was this perception that you have to know it all when you're the manager, but the more I admitted that you just spoke Greek to me and I don't have a clue anything about this, but I'm, I'm going to make sure I get you what you need. It was interesting. I had 
employees that were not happy that I was moved into that role. They didn't know me personally, but they were like, she can't manage us. She's never worked in operations. She's never been a nurse. I worked in the healthcare field and they revolted <laughs> and they went to my manager and, and, and really said she can't manage us. And I knew that I had made headway with the team when I got a card for quote unquote bosses day from, <laughs> from one of those women, which I don't like that term. And I would cringe anytime someone would introduce me as their boss. But honestly, the more you pretend to know or try to think you know everything, the worse off you're going to be with your, your team. And the more willing you are to humble yourself and say, hey, we're all in this together and we're all learning. We have different roles, but I don't consider myself as the end-all be-all or the most knowledgeable. That's when the team works with you. Having that learning mindset, you know, just kind of creates even more learning within the team and the organization. And asking questions is something that needs to be normalized, right? And having, having healthy debate needs to be normalized. And, you know, people think that, debate and conflict is this bad, you know, awful thing. Like it either slows you down or that it's uh, toxic. But really, if you do it in a productive, positive way, it can help grow, not just, you know, your team, but the company as a whole. Mm -hmm. I worked in a workplace culture that when conflict was raised in a healthy way, the person would be reprimanded for that. It was not appropriate in that setting to raise that issue. You're just being difficult or creating conflict. Even when it was raised in a very constructive, how, how can we account for this potential roadblock? It was still, you were given feedback <laughs> about doing that in this culture. And so everybody would just stay quiet and watch the train go off the rails and over the cliff instead. Yeah. That was the alternative. You're exactly right that avoidance of conflict and not asking questions, thinking that you know all the answers, will just, you'll, your train is just going to go over the, the cliff. <laughs> yeah. Well, that kind of, you know, hearing that, that story reminds me of my, one of my top strengths, uh, which is restorative, right? Where, you know, oh. you're just constantly like, looking for ways to improve. And I've definitely been in an organization where I would go out and like try and find ways to improve things. And I was almost in that exact situation that you just described. Like, it's like, why are you bringing these things up? Things are fine. <laughs> it's like, You're a uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, like, uh, you know, and you know, I, I know my wife doesn't necessarily like it when I'm doing, uh, exercising my restorative strength because it's like, I just want you to listen. Right. And uh, you know, I'm just like, no, I need to find the problem or the, the solution to that problem. Like right now. <laughs> yeah. You know what the biggest issue is though? I think Chris in, in the relationship breakdown is the mm -hmm. assumption of your intent. So people assume you're trying to make me look bad as your manager because you're showing that I never thought of this and I should have, yeah. or you're just trying to be a naysayer you know, people with restorative are natural troubleshooters and problem solvers. They can't turn it off. And their intent is usually wanting things to work well. They don't mm -hmm. like sticks and bubble gum and band-aids. They want things to be performing well, a well-oiled machine. And 
we make these assumptions of why you're bringing these things up, which are always wrong. Assumptions are the termites of relationships. And, and then the, the relationship degrades. And I honestly believe if people just said, tell me more about that and tell me why this is important to you, you would learn a lot about someone's intent instead of making assumptions. Yeah, again, having that positive intent is coming into conversations and coming into discussions, either as the person giving information or the person receiving information, assuming that positive intent is can go so, so far because it just automatically puts both people in a good, good place. And, yeah. and you've shared also about how, you know, managers can really destroy individuals and their dreams. You know, it might be a dream job for people, or it might be a organization that is known for outstanding culture, but a manager could be that one little thing that actually turning that person off or that team off. So can you share a little bit more about the importance of how leaders really need to cultivate people within the roles that they're in? I think the first thing you need to ask yourself is, do you even want to manage people? Why are you managing people? And if your heart isn't in it, if you find yourself saying things like you babysit at work, I think you need to examine where your role is in your career and do the right thing. If you don't like managing people and you don't want to do it, you need to stop. You need to go into a different role. And well, I don't want to take a cut in pay. You don't always have to take a cut in pay, but affecting other people's career satisfaction so that you can make $10,000 more a year is not an acceptable reason to manage people if you don't like doing it. So I'm, I'm a truth teller. And so I will say to people, you need to do yourself and everyone else a favor and stop being a people manager. Yeah. Secondly, if you do want to be a people manager, but you're not getting results and you're not getting the, the outcomes that you're looking for, you need to be a student. So first of all, getting the feedback, learn how to develop other people. It's not something that comes naturally. One in 10 people is naturally wired to manage people well, according to Gallup research. So you need to be a student. You need to learn, listen to podcasts like, like yours, read books, bring things back into the workplace. So you have a development plan of 10% is training, formal training, reading books. 20% is mentorship, get a mentor. And 70% is on the job. So of those 30% of things that you're learning and getting mentored on, so identify someone who is a good leader of people and ask them to mentor you. And then what books do you recommend I read? What podcasts do you recommend I listen to what courses do you recommend i take and then practice those things in the 70 percent the real learning happens on the job and then do an evaluation what went well with that what can i do better next time maybe you're not good at giving actionable feedback so what went well 
What can I do better next time? What am I going to change the next time? Not just say, well, you know, this doesn't work. And you keep tweaking and you keep trying different approaches until you're getting the results that you need. And I think it's really important that feedback is part of that loop because you don't just evaluate, well, I'm such a great manager now. I I, I remember when I was working in an organization and we had an employee survey every other year, they did this big employee survey. And the number one problem in the, in the culture I was in was weak management. Mm -hmm. The managers created toxic work environment. They created drama and conflict. They kept their door closed all day and, and didn't meet with their people one-on-one or they only gave constructive criticism. I say only (laughs) constructive. It maybe wasn't even constructive, but they only criticized people, no praise, no recognition. You get the idea. And after that survey, they created this management program and all managers in the organization, which there was a couple hundred of them, had to go through this program. And it was an exhaustive management program. I moved into the L&D position. So I was responsible for that program after I had shifted. I was a manager in operations when that started. And after two years, how many managers do you think of 200 and some odd managers in the organization completed the required training? It was a two year, it was, they gave you up to two years to complete it. How many, Chris, do you think completed the program? Well, if it was optional, I would say it's probably five. It's not. It was considered mandatory management training. I mean, I would like to say just from a compliance perspective, you're probably looking high at a higher number. But if you frame it that way, it sounds like it was, it's the inverse. It sounds like it's like 10%. One person. Oh my gosh. So there was no accountability. We created this management program and we created this fix. So we're all going to be better managers but nothing in the organization rewarded people for improving. Nothing in the organization supported people for bringing the learnings into their roles. So it's not enough to throw training at people. Even if I go and get a mentor, even if I go and get training and I try to bring that on the job, how are we gonna reward leaders who are exhibiting the behaviors that we are looking for in our organization? Yeah. I mean, you're speaking to so many things in my own experience, right? In L&D and just as a leader wanting to help improve others. I mean, that's just, it's mind boggling that the organization did not have that growth or even learning mindset. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, in that situation, what did you, what did you learn from that? And what did you think was the appropriate solution to have uh, made so that we looked at effective. the reasons. I, I pulled the data and I looked at the reasons of what, what of what was happening. So people were registering for classes and then right before the class, they were canceling. And they would say, I have a client issue, a client fire. So to your restorative strength, remember we talked about if you don't identify the barriers, when we said what's going well, what needs to be done differently or better, and what are the barriers to improvement? The culture was a crisis culture. It was a reactive culture. They had lots of problems that created lots of fires. And so people would say, I intended to go to this training, but then the systems blow up because we have 
production support issues with our client systems, or there's this crisis that happened because we rolled something out and we didn't have a good communication plan and now it's blowing up in our faces. So because the culture wasn't planful and didn't have good communication, everything was a crisis all the time. It was Everyone was in reactive mode. So even though you created this great program, people couldn't go through it because their life was a constant fire. Yeah. And it's, it's up to us as leaders, right. To be able to help mitigate that and, and address it and kind of shield our teams from those, from those fires. So it's really important to um, understand that we need to help not only, uh, not only help our teams exhibit their strengths, but also be, you know, also be productive. So, I mean, it, it's, so, it's such a tough balancing act and you're right. I mean, there's so, so few people who are well-equipped and naturally equipped to manage teams. So it's really important that, you know, we develop leaders to not only be able to manage individuals, but also to be able to problem solve. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And the and the managers above the managers and the managers above those <laughs> need to have open channels of communication for people to be able to share the struggles they're facing. I want to do my management training. I want to be a better leader. I want to be able to be there with my team and be present and do management by walking around and have one-on-ones. But we are in fight or flight mode every day. Yeah. And if you use those five questions I gave you earlier, What's going well? What needs to be different or better? What are the barriers that are preventing improvement? What's one thing that needs to change? And how can I help? If you ask those questions regularly, you're always going to have a plan, a strategic plan on what the priorities are. And those questions need to be asked continuously in, in, in context with whatever it is you're looking at. And if you're not asking those questions, you make assumptions about why your team is, oh, our managers aren't taking their training because they're lazy. Our managers aren't taking this required training because they don't take management seriously. Meanwhile, the leadership has no idea that their operational leaders aren't taking the training because they're in crisis every day because the decisions they're making up above (laughs) are, it's like they're, they're whipping them with a wet towel when they're naked. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, again, it also comes down to that self-awareness, right? I mean, you know, these these executive leaders or whoever's making the decisions needs to understand the impact that their decisions are having on the team. And they might just see them as operational issues versus the leadership issues. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something, you know, I want to share some more feedback that someone provided about you is about having this great vision, right? Is They shared that, you know, or I'll just read it. Kristen has a great vision to enhance the lives of others by helping them reach inside themselves and pull out the best they have to offer. She's a maximizer like that. And I know that uh, this person used the word maximizer because that is one of your strengths as well. (laughs) It is. Futuristic and maximizer are my top two Clifton strength themes. So I love to have a vision and know where I'm going and where we're going together. And I love to really help people move into roles where their potential can be lived out. That's one feedback. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, of course. Um, I do have kind of one burning question to ask, 
you know, before we wrap up for the day is really as we look at strengths, right? And you have a one, you've built a wonderful program with UMAP. You've uh, written a lot of books around uh, managers and leadership and again, uh, self-development. I would love to know what you think about how, if there are any strengths that lend themselves more to leadership than others. So keeping in mind that there's no one right way to lead people, it's a yes and a no answer from me. So there are strengths that are correlated to being a better manager. So I would say if you have strengths like individualization, you're very good at hiring the right people. You're very good at creating diversity because people with individualization naturally understand that you need diversity to be successful. So they they create diverse teams and they're really good at identifying what the strengths are that people have. So they it's more rare for them to make a wrong hire because of their natural talent. They can just tell who the right person is for the role. I would also say people with developer tend to be good people leaders because they're natural coaches, teachers, trainers, and mentors. So they naturally help people develop their potential. Now, if you're leading a team of engineers, you and I'm not trying to make a generalization that engineers don't want to be developed <laughs> as people, but the reality is if you're leading a team of engineers, they might value you being strategic. So maybe they're focused in the now and they're, they're in their analysis a lot. You're going to have analytical people as engineers. So perhaps they're going to value your strategic nature of knowing the right thing for people to be focusing on. So you have to keep that in mind. Who are you managing and what do those people value? So lots of people can be effective managers depending on who you're managing, but having empathy, being able to develop people and help support their career, being someone who can lead in times of crisis and, and be that calm in the storm, having those types of natural orientation is going to be, I think, what what's going to really matter. But Gallup has done a lot of research on this and they say that people who can bring the best out of people and keep them enthusiastic and involved, people who can express themselves effectively and stand up for their own point of view while respecting the rights of others, people who are going to take responsibility for their own actions, and people who are going to effectively build social connections. And finally, being able to decide outcomes of options and what's the best choice for a situation, being those five things is what Gallup has shown that people tend to value collectively the most. That's great. Thank you so much for sharing uh, your thoughts on those and and the research behind it. Um, You know, I do want to share one little bit, uh, one more piece of feedback before we uh, sign off. And I think that um, you know, hopefully the listeners for this interview get the sense and understand just how much of a strengths and maximizer you are uh, as, a, as a leader yourself, right? Is that this person's feedback is very quick and succinct. 
where she has a gift of giving people a framework for their strengths, right? And that's something that you clearly very much do is you absolutely have this framework and you have this ability to, again, maximize people's strengths. And so that's something that people can reach out to your organization about. And so can you share where people can connect with you? So you can connect with me on LinkedIn and I'm the Kristen Sherry in, in Charlotte, North Carolina. You can reach me through my website, myumap, that's M-Y-Y-O-U-M-A-P.com. Those are probably the two best places to reach me. Fantastic. And I know that you have something that you would like to share um, with the audience. And again, I'm going to give that last piece of feedback was not the last piece of feedback I lied. (laughs) Um, I have one more (laughs) and I think it's very suitable for this, uh, this situation. So Kristen Sherry is one of the greatest givers of all time. Here are the three things I admire about her generosity. She is a model for giving while maintaining healthy boundaries. When she gives, it is with tremendous joy, even glee, exclamation point. Her gifts change the lives of people receiving them. And I will absolutely say I um, 100% agree with that feedback because just even reading your work is amazing. And I'm very much, I'm so excited for the children's books. And we didn't even get a chance to talk about the children's books you wrote. (laughs) But I mean, I'm so excited for that as well. So um, speaking of giving, would you like to share what you are giving out? Sure. So I have a copy in my hand of my book, Your Team Loves Mondays, right? It's a guide for people managers, just in case. And it helps you go through all those things we talked about today. How do I determine if I want to be a manager myself? How, what are the things that I might be doing to, mo- to demotivate people? And how do I hire the right people and onboard and train and develop and retain and offboard people with respect? So that book is going to be sent to someone, (laughs) a signed copy to help you in any of those areas. Fantastic. And yes, if you would like uh, one of the copies or this copy of Your Team Likes Mondays, right? Uh, Or Loves Mondays, right? Is uh, please leave us a review uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And I will look through them and I'll throw all the names in a hat and I will reach out uh, once you, uh, once I, once I get those. Um, and so I will share more details uh, right after we finish, wrap up this interview. But Kristen, thank you again so much. I really appreciated uh, just the insight that you brought and helping others maximize their talents and their strengths. This was, this was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was a wonderful way to spend my morning. Thank you so much again for tuning into this episode of the Leading People First podcast. I can't say enough about the amazing work that Kristen is doing for people and leaders around the world. Her dedication to individual growth and organizational culture is incredible, and it really showed when we talked. A quick shout out to Kristen's friends and colleagues who shared about her and how awesome she is. And if you want to learn more about Kristen, don't forget to check the show notes. This is your last chance again to be entered in the drawing to win her latest book, Your Team Loves Mondays, right? So make sure you leave us a review and send a screenshot to chrislyn at leadingpeoplefirst.com or share your review on Instagram and tag leadingpeoplefirst. Again, I'm glad you're joining me on this journey exploring how leadership affects the employee experience. Keep leading people first and stay awesome.